Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Randy Franz as he shares this week's message. I had planned today to discuss uh, what the Bible says about stress, anxiety, and worry without actually mentioning stress, anxiety, and worry. But the stress of doing that gave me anxiety, and I was worried you wouldn't receive it well. But all kidding aside, we will cover a bit today about what, how God addresses anxiety. Um, but first I want to set the stage, so to speak, with a question. How great is God? It's a legitimate question. How great is God? He's perfect. You're absolutely right. That's how great he is. Out of the mouth of babes. But in all reality, I know for this audience, that's a rhetorical question. I, I, I think we're all on the same page. We all prize him. We all prize him and his greatness. Um, but I really do want to stop for a few minutes here and have us just think about that. How great is the God that we profess to know? How great is the God that we, whose word we hold in our very hands, his word and his words? How great is the God that we preach on and we teach of week after week after week, year after year after year, as long as he gives us the ability to do so? How great is he? Well, as Lily wisely said, he is perfect. He's actually beyond our comp uh, ability to comprehend fully how great he is, correct? He, he is so much greater than what our finite conceptions of him actually can be. Uh, an infinite God is inexhaustible by definition, and, and we are not infinite. And yet he has given us in Scripture uh, some of the picture to help us at least have an idea of his greatness. And when we consider these individual pictures, it, it, it's kind of like, they're like pieces of a mosaic. If you look at each piece up close, it's a beautiful individual picture on its own. Let's take his, his mercy, for example. Individually, God's mercy is just a beautiful, wonderful picture. But that piece is only part of a larger picture of him that is stunning in its, in its array of, of beauty. God's completeness is total. It's all-encompassing. All Everywhere we look, he is there. Everywhere. There's not any place in our lives that we will be able to look or go where God is not there. Through the centuries and on through our days even, we see him doing works in and through the lives of people all over the globe. I mean, we know about godly people such as Moses or the Apostle Paul. We think of people like the English Bible translators, uh, John Wycliffe and William Tyndale. 
we think of the great reformer Martin Luther. All these people God used radically to advance the gospel. But God has not stopped. He didn't stop there. He didn't stop back down through the annals of history with people that we read about now. I recently read a story about an ordinary couple from Wisconsin uh, whom God called to the missionary field in Uganda. And they served there for seven years in a mostly Muslim community. Uh, Uganda is actually a majority Christian, but this particular community was 85% uh, Muslim. The couple went there, they brought farming knowledge, they actually opened a school and led that school for years it, with the blessing of the Muslims who actually donated the land for it because it was such a benefit to their community. These Muslim leaders actually championed this school even though it was a Christian school. This couple declared openly the gospel of Jesus Christ constantly. The community adored them. Then one night they were suddenly shot to death right outside their home. The school was burned down. Much of the ministry's belongings were destroyed. Did God mess up something? Did something go, go haywire outside of his plan? No. Over the next 18 years, the gospel was advanced far greater than they could by themselves because their story went worldwide. It was told everywhere, and the gospel went with it. One of, their, one of their sons really had a hard time with their, their martyrdom, which you would. It would be very difficult to see your parents taken out like that. Yet years later, even he acknowledged what you couldn't see at the beginning. And he gave a quote. He said, my dad planted a lot of seeds when he was alive as a farmer. But when God chose to take him away, God just crop dusted the whole area. I love that word picture. It is clear we only see a fraction of what is going on, what God is at work doing. And every time we glimpse new vistas, we marvel at what we find. The images from outer space, for example, that keep coming in and farther and farther into the galaxy are just incredible. And we can't look at these and look at God's handiwork without just being in awe of the physical realm that God has produced. I think of the advances in just the, the knowledge of the human body, um, the complexities of an eyeball that has 130 million light-sensitive cells, or something like nanotechnology, which has allowed us to peer into deeper and deeper into the, the tiniest pieces of matter, atoms and our DNA and all these things that have helped us unlock the keys to health and, and cures, new cures. It's marvelous, absolutely marvelous. And yet it's only a fraction of what we're allowed to see it and observe. That should blow us away, that what we see and observe is just a fraction of God's full picture. He gives us these fascinating little peeks into his system that he has created. And that system involves you and me, here and now. 
the same God who spoke everything into existence, also perfectly planned our place and time here. He's put every molecule exactly in its place at the right place. He knows us and he cares for us radically and he keeps us radically close to himself. That should be incredible comfort to us. So, what I want to do is focus in a little bit, just for a little bit, on a few of the things God has revealed about himself so that we can get a little bit of picture of him. And I'm going to borrow from Dr. Steve Lawson's uh, excellent series on the attributes of God. Uh, if you missed it when we covered this in our adult core class um, last year, you'll want to make time to watch Dr. Lawson's videos on these. Um, you should be able to find them on YouTube. If not, ask Pastor Rob to send you a link to it. Uh, they are excellent, and there's no doubt that they will build your faith and strengthen your faith. Because focusing on who God is is the essence of the Christian life. If we fail to do that, we become distant from him. And we ultimately develop a weak, shallow faith that produces nothing that honors him. And so, borrowing from Dr. Lawson, we're going to take a brief look at just some of the attributes of God. So we'll start with A, the letter A. Uh, it's an unusual word, it's called aseity. It means God is self-existent. He alone has life in himself. Nothing outside of him gives him life. He is self-existent. Unlike you and me, he depends on no one, and he depends on nothing. Secondly, spirituality. God is a spirit being. He has no physical body. He is invisible. For example, he is with us right now. And because of this, he is infinite and he is limitless. And so, aseity and spirituality. How about sovereignty? Third is sovereignty. God rules and reigns in the heavens and the universe. It is God's universe. He rules. How about his holiness? God is transcended. He is high and lifted up. He is morally pure. He is blameless. And he is flawless in all of his being. Next are the omnis. And we'll kind of lump them together. Is omniscience, I'm sorry, omnipresence, omniscience, and omnipotence. God is all present. He is always present everywhere all the time. He is omniscient, so he is all-knowing. He knows everything. He is the author of knowledge. So he is omniscient, and he is omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful. There is nothing outside of God's power that, can't, that he cannot do. How about immutability? There's another big word, immutability. You don't hear that used very often. That just means that God never changes. He never changes. He never increases. He never decreases. He can't. He is in his fullness always. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is God forever. It's a wonderful picture of him. How about truthfulness? God tells it like it is. 
Everything from the mouth of God is an accurate, precise account of exactly the way things are. Sin is exactly the way sin is, the way he says sin is. Salvation is exactly what God says it is. Heaven, hell, life, death, etc., are exactly as God says because he is the God of all truth. He is truthful. How about his wisdom? The genius of God. He not only knows everything, he uses this knowledge with perfect wisdom. God chooses the highest ends and the best means for achieving these highest ends. And all of his ways are perfect, as Lily informed us earlier. Goodness. God is a good God, and he bestows good things, even upon unbelievers. He causes the rain to fall on believers and unbelievers, the just and the unjust. He's good even to the animal kingdom. He, he feeds them. He gives them water to drink. He's good to the physical earth. He causes flowers to blossom, for example. How much more so is he good to you and me, his own chosen children? God gives good gifts to us. How about his righteousness and his wrath? Those go together, actually. God's wrath is a necessary part of his character and being because for God to love purity, he must also hate impurity, and he must be a God of vengeance and wrath toward all that which is unclean and, and impure. And then there's his grace, God's grace. He is the God of all grace. God has chosen to work toward you and me, his children, not on the basis of our merit or what we deserve or what we can do, but he freely bestows salvation in Christ to those who can't earn it and those who can't work for it. The grace of God is amazing grace, truly. God's love, we see this throughout Scripture. For God so loved the world. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. His love is everywhere. Why? Because God himself is love. And then lastly, foreknowledge. I want to touch just on that attribute of him, foreknowledge. It doesn't mean that God looked down the corridors of time, the tunnel of time, to see what sinners might do with Christ. No, instead the word foreknowledge refers to to those whom he foreloved and those whom he chose to love with a redeeming love. It means those whom he chose with great love and whom he foreordained with that amazing grace. And so, aseity, God is self-existent. Spirituality is a spirit being. Sovereignty, he rules. Holiness, he is high and lifted up. He's all-present, all-knowing, and all-powerful. He never changes. He tells it like it is. He's wise. He's a, he not only knows everything, he does everything with perfect wisdom. He is good. He bestows good things. He abhors that which is sinful. He's gracious. He is love. 
and he has redeemed us with his amazing love and grace. The picture of God, that's just a very small picture of who God is. And so now that we have set our minds on who God is, we're going to open up a passage that Jesus gives to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' explicit instructions about anxiety. And so open your Bibles. If you have a Bible, please open it to Matthew 6, starting with verse 25. If you do not have a Bible and you want one, please come see me or Landon or Brandon, and we will get you a Bible. We encourage you to bring those. Or at least open your app. One of the thousands of Bible apps you can get. Matthew 6, chapter 6, verse 25. And we'll go through, excuse me, through verse 34. So starting in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us all we need for life and godliness. We thank you for this passage, that even though it tells us something that's very difficult in most of our lives, Lord, you also explain to us why this is here. So would you help us to understand, open our minds? Would you open my lips to declare that these truths, that they are your truths and not my opinions? We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So God knows we tend to worry and we tend to have anxiety over many, many things. That's very natural. It's very normal. And that's why he included passages like this in Philippians 4, which also uh, are part of his instruction manual to us. But this passage is very specific about the basic necessities. So this isn't worrying about some of those other things or many other things. This is the basic necessities of life. And we are so prone to this that even we have an example 
the Apostle Paul was discussing the pros and cons of marriage and singleness, uh, and he acknowledges that mar men and, married men and women are more prone to be anxious about worldly things. Uh, he tells us that in 1 Corinthians 7. It's very clear. This is nothing new to humanity. It's nothing new to us. This has been this way since the beginning of humanity. And so the context of this passage in the Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew 6, and it's a, a companion uh, in Luke 12, it's actually our view of money and what we value. Right before then, in Matthew 6, right before the passage we read, we read this in Matthew 6, 19 through 21 and verse 24. It says, do not lay up for yourself for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and lose the other and despise the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the... Desp I'm sorry... For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then in that companion passage in Luke 12, Jesus tells the crowd, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then Jesus goes on to give the parable of the rich fool in which a rich landowner's crops were so plentiful, he tore down his barns to build bigger barns to store all of his goods so he could relax and party. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, we know this is not a trivial matter. Our worries and anxieties over the daily necessities of life, they are not a small matter. God aims much scripture at our views of money and, the, and material goods. And so our anxiety and worry over them are very serious too. John MacArthur flat out calls worry about these a sin. And he says that because God commands us not to do it, just as we aren't commanded or we're commanded not to murder or not to commit adultery. MacArthur says worry about the basic necessities of life are absolutely contrary to faith in Christ. He says this worry strikes a blow at the person and character of God. And worrying about these is choosing to be mastered by your circumstances instead of by the truth of God. Does this seem harsh? Because doesn't everyone worry at some point about even simple, tangible, material things? Yes, we do. Of course we do. But God also gives us the answer to this anxiety and worry. It's pretty simple, and we all know it. It's to look to Him, not ourselves. Look up, set our minds on the things that are above. 
there is so much in the God's word about this. And I've just selected a few of these to give you a picture. Psalm 55:22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Psalm 40, verse 17, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. Oh, my God. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Philippians 4, 8, and 9, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, Philippians 4, 7, one verse before that section says, the peace of God will fill his children instead of anxiety when we go to him with prayers of thankfulness. The peace of God. And then Philippians 4.9 says, he doesn't just give us peace. The God of peace himself will be with us when we saturate ourselves with thoughts and actions of him. So... We have, we receive the peace of God and the God of peace. Praise God. Praise God. There's two observations from Pastor John Piper that I want to highlight. Piper, from his book, What Jesus Demands from the World. So it's a very good book. I recommend it highly, John Piper. And in there, he says, when you think about your life or your food or your clothes or your spouse or your job or your mission in life, don't fret about them. Instead, make God the king in that affair and in that moment. And I would add, in other words, give it to God first, not as a last resort. Go to God first when you start to feel that. A little later in Piper's book, he summarizes the teaching on this section by saying, the promise to meet all our needs does not mean he will make us rich. True. It does not even mean he will keep us alive. Luke 21 says, some of, some of you they will put to death, meaning believers. But it means he will give us all that we need to do the will of God. And he has given us these tools and this passage is one of those tools. In fact, this passage gives us eight reasons not to be anxious. And so, we're going to go through these. We're going to walk out of here today with eight tools to combat our anxiety. And it's really easy. Ben, if you want to put those up there, we're going to go verse 25. 
Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So I would ask, what is human life primarily given for? Fair question. Well, from God's perspective, he gives us life to work out his plans, which ultimately brings him glory and is good for us. From our perspective, God gives us life, yes, to glorify him, but also, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, to enjoy him forever. So our lives are to enjoy God forever as we serve him. I recognize those are big, lofty principles, lofty-sounding ideals, whereas food and clothing are very basic needs. And yet, think about it, both of them require immediate action, and both are important. But one is clearly more important than the other. Pastor Piper makes the point that we get anxious about food and clothing because even though they are pleasurable, they cannot provide the truly great things of life. And that's the enjoyment of God, the pursuit of his gracious favor, and the hope of eternity in his presence. Those are the truly great things of life. Piper says, and this is a good perspective, we get anxious about food and clothing to the same degree that we lose sight of the great purpose of a God-centered life. That's well said. We, we get anxious about food and clothing to the same degree that we lose sight of the great purpose of a God-centered life. And so Jesus asks the rhetorical question in this verse, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Well, of course it is. And we all intuitively know that. And yet God knows how easily we take our, our eyes off the grand to seek the good. It's like looking up close at a, at a pretty flower and thinking how it would be hard to find anything more beautiful. And then stepping back and seeing the flower is just one of an entire field full of thousands of blooms. Don't miss the grand for the good. God himself is the grand. So the second tool, verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Hmm. Okay, so he's given us a... Comparison to birds, so how should we emulate the birds of God's creation? Well, he's not saying here that birds are lazy, that God has to feed them and birds don't do anything. It means that God feeds them no matter what. He provides for them a day at a time. And likewise, he provides for you and I what we need each day. Not what you and I necessarily want, but what we need for as long as he has work for us to do, and I want to make that point, God will provide for you and keep you going for as long as he has work for you to do on earth. Not a moment longer, not a moment less. He will sustain you for that. 
The third tool, verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? <laughs> so let's take a look at, at worry and anxiety. Can you name, let's say, five positive outcomes of anxiety and worry? Five, just five. Just two. One. It always fixes the problem, yes. Yeah, there's none, right? But what about positive outcomes? I'm sorry, what about negative outcomes? Can you name five negative outcomes of worry and anxiety? Yeah, I think five is just the beginning. I'll give you five. In fact, I'll give you six. It develops a foolish belief that we have a measure of control. Even though we know that God has all control as the sovereign over all things. Two, it can lead to poor health. We know this, stress and worry are linked to all kinds of maladies, uh, mental, physical, emotional, even secular doctors, counselors, and therapists, they know this, and that's why they urge their patients to reduce their stress for better health. How about three, it puts a strain on others. Your worry and anxiety about the simple necessities of life puts a strain on others. And it may add to the object of your stress and worry. Number four, anxiety resolves nothing. You worrying about, about it down the road isn't gonna resolve anything, despite what Landon says. <laughs> Five, it depletes time and brain power that's better used for God-honoring pursuits. Isn't that true? When we get consumed by things, it takes us away from what we should be focusing on. And six, it robs a believer of the joy and peace that is ours automatically when we are born again in Christ Jesus. It robs us of that. Don't let it rob you of that joy and peace. So in other words, anxiety doesn't help and it doesn't get you anywhere, it's fruitless. The next tool is found in verses 28 through 30. Where it reads, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So I ask, what type of adornment? God loves to adorn. What type of adornment does Jesus promise to give his children? Well, the adornment he gives is whatever it takes to meet the needs of his people. He doesn't promise us kingly robes or queenly gowns. In fact, he discusses this when John the Baptist, uh, uh, he's discussing John the Baptist to a crowd of his followers, and Jesus says, Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. This is contrasted with what John wore. He wore the sparse garment of camel's hair and a leather belt. So, 
By this, we, we must not be mistaken to think that God's promising to fill our closets with royal wardrobes. He delights to adorn things, even simple things like lilies in the field, he tells us. But his promise is to clothe us, yes, with clothing, enough for what he calls us to do. Then to bestow upon us the riches of heaven when he calls us home for eternity. And he gives us the crown of righteousness. This crown is the adornment of the soul that is far more lavish than any material clothing here on earth. The fifth and sixth tools are found in verse 31 and 32. It says, therefore do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So what does Jesus assume about his disciples and what they seek for happiness? What does he assume by this verse? Well, he assumes that even his disciples are ruled by their material appetites. Food, drink, clothing, very temporary things. This is what they are tending towards seeking for happiness. But if we have anxiety over those things, we are no different from the unbelievers. Our happiness as believers in Christ are not to be in the temporary things of this world. That is a goal that leaves us away from God. We delight in the promises of eternity, knowing that God gives us everything we need in this world and pleasures forevermore in the life to come. That's what propels us. The seventh tool is verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This verse is really the hinge on which this whole section turns. What are we to seek? Food, clothing, material needs? No. We're to seek the kingdom of God. We're to seek him. Because salvation is tied up not in the wealth of this world, nor the self-righteousness of religious good works. The kingdom of God is only for those who repent of their sin, put their full and complete trust in the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. It is his righteousness that grants us a place in the kingdom of God. And when you and I seek this, when we seek him, God's promise is to lovingly care for all of our needs on earth as well. What a great promise. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He promises to take care of us, give us all things that we need. And finally, the eighth tool is found in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Boy, if this isn't practical advice, I don't know what is. Now, is God telling us not to plan ahead? Not to prepare? How does he want us to think? Well, planning ahead is prudent. We know that. 
Planning for eternity, for example, is commanded. We are to plan for eternity. Remember, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So this verse is not telling us to stick our heads in the, in the sand and live it up for today. It's saying there will be challenges today. There's no doubt about that. But within those challenges, God will give you all you need to meet those challenges. It's a tall enough task. Today, the challenges of today is a tall enough task that we don't need to worry about tomorrow's problems today. Let's not bring those in. Today's hard enough. John Piper says, tomorrow there will be grace for tomorrow's trouble. That grace is not given for us today. So what do we take from all of this? And how do we put it into practice? Well, we understand Jesus does not want his followers to be anxious about their daily needs. He's made that clear. He wants his people to trust in him and know that he will richly provide all that we need for life and godliness. Jesus' kingdom is not a kingdom of worry and anxiety. In fact, it's the exact opposite. For those whose faith and trust are in Christ, for those who have been guaranteed to be saved from God's wrath because of their sin and are guaranteed to be welcomed into his kingdom for eternity, this is a kingdom of confidence, peace, and contentment right now even while we are in our mortal bodies on earth. That's what this is for. And so... To put this into practice, simply keep things in perspective. First, remind yourself constantly of who God is. We went through those list of attributes. That's just a simple exercise to remind ourselves of who God is. He is not small. He's not incapable. And he does not lie. He promises to feed us. He promises to clothe us. That's it. We will have food. We will have clothing. We will have as much or as little in life as he deems is necessary for us to complete his work on earth. We can trust that because God does not lie. So remind yourself constantly of who God is. Second, remember that this world is not our home. We are truly just passing through. The things of this life are temporal at best, very fleeting. They're called a mist or a vapor in scripture. And that's both the good things of life and the bad. But God promises an eternity of glory that far outweighs whatever pleasures we can eke out on earth. So seek the eternal glory, not the temporary pleasures. So remind ourselves constantly of who God is. Remember the world's not our home. And thirdly, remember that God gives you all of the basic materials you need for today. Not for tomorrow, but for today. Today's hard enough. I think of the Israelites. Remember the Israelites who were in the wilderness for 40 years? God promised to feed them every single day as much as each person wanted, but no more than for that day. And God did it. 
and the people ate their fill every single day, but not for tomorrow. You see, God is good, and he always keeps his promises. When he tells us, do not be anxious about food and clothing, he knows that that's a battle that can be won. And so, I want to close with the words that God gave to Job. If there were anyone who could have been or should have been racked with anxiety over the elementary things of life, it was Job. He had them all nearly stripped away completely. And Job goes through times of questioning, for sure, what and why God is doing this. But open up your body, not now, but when you get home, Take some time to go through Job chapters 38 through 42, where you'll see the Lord's response. And just a little bit of it. The Lord says to Job, when Job is doubting, he says, Job, can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clouds stick fast together? In other words, God is saying, Job, don't worry. All that is going on is for a very good reason. You may lack riches right now, but believe me, I will take care of you, even right down to the very basic necessities that you need. And then in the end, we know the story, God restores Job's fortunes far greater than before. My brothers and sisters, God restores us greater than we can ever imagine. It may not happen in this lifetime on earth, but his promises for eternity are grander than, than even the imaginations he has given us in our wonderful brain. So trust in God to provide your needs now. He knows what he is doing. He's our gracious, merciful, sovereign Lord who promises to bless you and keep you exactly as long as he has work for you to do. Then and only then will he bring you home. Amen. So when the worship, as the worship team comes up, I want us just to take a moment to consider these words. I would encourage you as well to memorize this passage. God has provided them for us for a very powerful reason, as a reminder to us not to take us off track, when we say set your minds on the things that are above, that thing is really centered in God alone. When we look to him, when he is part of our, when he is the main part of our conscious daily life, our, our daily activities, think on him. Even when you're in the midst of doing something, have your thoughts squarely on Christ. And then and only then and only then will you be equipped to battle the anxieties and worries even of, of our material things that inevitably come. But my brothers and sisters, 
Set your mind on the things above as you battle anxiety. Thank you. Let's pray. Dear wonderful Heavenly Father, you are so grand to, to give us the instruction manual for life. Lord, if we would just heed what you tell us. You give us instructions on so many things, and these things are the ones that you know come across our lives at all times. So, Father, help us to trust in you. Help us to understand that you bring us here to, to hear your word preached. You give us your word so that we can read and study and know you more. Lord, would you help us to go through life with the victory of knowing that you are in control, that you have provided all we need for as long as you have us here, as long as you desire to uh, have us be, to be a part of your great and grand plan. Lord, what comfort that brings to us. So we thank you for allowing us to gather here this morning. We thank you for protecting us through the rains. We thank you for the, the wonderful life-giving water that you pour from the skies. Lord, we pray that all would be safe. Lord, that you would protect those whom you would protect and that you would give us blessing and honor as we go forth this week seeking to represent you to a world that needs to, <clears throat> to hear your word. Lord, let us share with others the great life-giving words that you have provided. We thank you and we praise you in the name of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.